Good evening. I'm Paul Sexton. And I'm Bobby Burns. And this is Wayward Weekly. Around the world and into your home, the stories that touch your life. This is Wayward Weekly. All right, everybody. Welcome to episode 12 of Wayward Weekly. How you doing, Paul? I am doing well. We just got through our blooper session of trying to redo our intro, and apparently I don't know Cadence, and I keep saying my name as if it's a question. Yes, you say it as if you are Ron Burgundy reading the teleprompter. Uh, I'm Paul Sexton? Um, uh, yeah, no, that's, that's pretty much how it is. Just listen to a previous intro of ours, and you will hear it. Um, <laughs> not anymore. It's I gone. struggle. I'm not made out for showbiz, Bob. I can't do it. <laughs> Uh, you'll get there. So anyways, um, this is episode 12 and, uh, Paul, you had a direction that you wanted to take this episode in. Uh, but like we do every episode first, I want to go back and see, is there anything you wanted to discuss about last episode, um, that might've seemed off or out of step or misspoken, or you had questions about, I didn't get a chance to listen to last episode. So this one's just kind of completely on you. You know, uh, just, you know, me just self critiquing myself in terms of like, uh, following up on points and trying to slow myself down. Cause I get like a little excited sometimes and I tend to kind of speed through stuff and not follow through on a particular thought. But in terms of the overall episode, um, I, I feel like it was fairly balanced. I mean, considering the times that we live in and everything. So I hope that, you know, people on the left and the right can appreciate the way that we, um, approached last episode, but I don't really have, um, anything substantive in terms of uh, a critique on any particular point. But I just hope that in the future, uh, you and I can basically start focusing on various solutions that you and I are kind of working on in the back end because we don't really know how to approach solutions to what we're seeing with um, Black Lives Matter and how you uh, change you know, reform the police if that is a necessary solution or look at these uh, cities that have failing school systems and other things going on that may be a catalyst for encounters with the police. So I think that's something that we should focus on in the future. And I hope that's something um, that we can kind of shed some light on. And, you know, uh, I hope you agree. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. And um, I don't think anybody really knows how to solve some of these issues or any of these issues or else that's where we would be, right? Like we would be yeah. solving them already. They would they would be done right now. So, um, <clears throat> I mean, to be fair, I, I don't think anybody knows. And this is just us learning and growing. Um, I mean, look, I feel like there are parts of every episode that I regret the way I acted, the way I spoke. Like, yeah, yeah, but me too. Part of the joy of doing this is sort of checking myself and what I really think and what I really want to say and going, come on, man, like you're just acting emotionally right now. Is that really yeah. going to get through to anybody? Like what what you're saying right now, do you think anybody who doesn't already agree with you is going to start to agree with you the way that you're approaching the situation with your tone or your attitude or your intonation. And so, um, it definitely makes me start to think and start to, um, reportray things. And I kind of keep going back to like episode two, I think, where we're talking about self-censorship and I'm like, am I just self-censoring myself now? Or like, I don't, you're not self censoring. You're just you're just not reacting emotionally. Like we we already have a lot of 
emotional reaction. And like you said, even in our approach to be uh, to approach things non-emotionally, sometimes our emotion still gets the better of us. But I think we do a fairly good job of trying to course correct when that tends to happen. But I, I just hope that we can kind of balance the narrative, the current narrative that exists on the left and the right, where everyone is just reacting emotionally right. and is getting, you know, and I think there's just too much of that and we're not very um or society in general just isn't very solution oriented we just yeah. keep trying to elect people that'll somehow enact some version of change and yet that never seems to happen and like we said it's not uh throwing out the entire constitution or even amending the constitution it's just a matter of reforming um even just municipalities city centers uh or even if you're involved in a school system the school system isn't working trying to reform that kind of stuff so i hope that those that are yeah. listening are kind of on board with us when we say just basically um as it pertains to the left and the right, both are saying that there needs to be some reforms and that we can hopefully bridge that gap and kind of come to uh, common sense solutions to all yeah. this stuff without the hyperbole. I don't know how it. anybody is not uh, disappointed in or how people don't feel betrayed by their own parties at this point. I mean, like we're all talking about and looking for change. I mean, not all of yeah. us, but a lot of us. But yet, I mean, people are still trying to vote the party because they think it's the lesser of two evils. Um, yeah. You know, I had someone say to me like, look, dude, now is not the time for you to vote, uh, outside of like the party. Um, thinking that I am still a Democrat. And I'm like, dude, I have not been voting outside of the party for years now. Um, you know, coming up on 10 years, I think this will be year number eight um, that I have not been voting inside any party, really. I've, I've, it's, it's been eight years since I've sort of shed that and voted for whoever I felt like thought I thought needed to get into office based off of what I knew or... Because I felt a, a side was unfairly balanced, which don't don't think that I think this is a good move, by the way. This is just what I thought at the time was a good move. If the House was like all Republicans, then I'd vote Democrat. If it was all Democrats, then I'd vote Republican. Only because I want it to be balanced and not just one side polling things. Because I think when the pendulum swings too far in one direction, it's going to swing that far, if not further, in the other direction and gain momentum from that. So, um, yeah. anyways, someone was saying to me, like, now is not the time to do that. And my immediate thought was, well, when is do, you know, um, you know, they were saying like, now's not the time we go for political change. You know, you don't vote for a third party or somebody else outside of they were pushing for Biden, um, over Trump because we have someone in the white house who we need to get out and this and that. And my immediate thought is, well, if everything was going great, no one would do that either. Like, People don't change their behavior until they hit rock bottom or they have some other really good convincing argument to do it. But when things are going great, people aren't like, hey, you know what we should do? We're sailing the ship right now on clear blue skies and we're headed towards, um, you know, America and and we've got all these people coming with us and it's great and people are waiting for us and everything's going great. Let's just turn left real quick. Let's just yeah. do something different. And it's like nobody does that. And so I find it I find it really interesting that some people think 
now is not the time to rock the boat and try a different direction. And it's like, if not now, then when? Like, now is the only time to try it. Now is the only time people are getting fed up with it. When things are good, no one's going to want to change anything. You don't, you don't change what you're doing when, when you're winning. Um, and so, uh, I don't know. I, I just found that to be very interesting. But you were talking about being solution-oriented, and I do want to um, present a solution that uh, – my sister pointed out that had been attempted. She said, 15 years ago, I'm just going to read from her comments, one of her comments. 15 years ago, Laura Miller, the mayor of Dallas, had a program. The city would buy a street of houses in a crime-ridden neighborhood and then renovate them. Then they would have successful people move in uh, that were similar to the majority of the ethnic background of the area. So this is not uh-huh. black and white. This is whatever it is. Is it is it Hispanic? Is it Asian? Is it whatever? If it's crime-ridden, they're just going to buy the, the block, um, have more successful people move in, okay, uh, um, who can be mentors to the community. What they did was take out the crime and install role models. Something missing from the lives of the residents. It had an amazing impact on the areas. In Dallas, there are areas of crime that have more, um, have a more prominent uh, race in each area. Uh, I followed the success for a few years in South Dallas, one of the scariest places I've ever been because of what I witnessed while I was driving through, and was so happy about the positive impact and her plan uh, that her plans had on the area. Okay, um, mm. so to start role models in the area with high crime. And I thought that was a fantastic solution. In fact, I, you know, made some posts looking for some solutions to some of these these problems or these issues that we're being faced with and was faced with complete negativity and no solutions at all until my my sister I think just sort of came to the rescue and said, "Man, I feel bad. <laughs> Everyone's just coming in here and shitting on looking for solutions um yeah. and and posed one for me which i honestly thought was fan uh, like so fantastic. would they subsidize the housing then uh, for the individuals to, to make them come in like hey you guys are making more money um you're moving out of these neighborhoods and you're basically not looking back so we're going to decrease the cost of the mortgage or we'll decrease the cost of the rent to incentivize you to come into these areas and act as a mentor. Is that right? So, so I asked her about that and she said she believed there was just an incentive. She didn't specify what the incentive was. Um, Mm -hmm. so I can't be a hundred percent sure. And I also didn't get the time to research this individual, um, the mayor of Dallas at that point in time. So I'm not a hundred percent sure. All I'm saying is, is like someone presented a solution and we do need to be more solution oriented. And I think it's interesting that the only person who posed a solution was my sister. And I feel like it was almost out of, I don't want to say out of pity, but out of defense, of me that like I was trying to pull it in one direction and, um, nobody, nobody was having that. No one was going with it. So it's almost like she sort of hopped into my rescue to, to defend me a little bit. Right. Something that, that siblings yeah. do. I know you have a well, younger cause... sister and like, you might not get along all the time, but when you see them getting picked on or trying something, it's like you go, you hop in and you support that person. And so, she hopped yeah. in with something that that I thought was really great, but um, I also think that this and, is a good segue to, again, you had sort of an idea planned for this episode, um, and to me, I feel like this 
kind of what I'm talking about right here, proposing some solutions um, and people not really going along with it directly relates to the research article that you sent me. Yeah. And you're talking about the, yeah, I can uh, go into it. Um, And I'd also like to talk to, uh, talk to you a little later about, I'm not sure if you heard, but I guess uh, our governor of California, Gavin Newsom, he issued an executive order mandating that everyone wear masks. Uh, No, I did not hear that. Yeah, he just issued that today. So that's something that we can get into uh, later. But I do have the, the study right in front of me. And this came to my attention. God, I think what it came out in 2012, I believe. 2011. And I saw some news articles about it. It seemed really interesting. So then I ended up pulling up the study myself. And uh, to my surprise, uh, it was only, I think I sent you the eight page version. My my version is about 17 pages, but mine came out as double space. So it's a quick read, but I will tell people, I'll link to this so that they can view it. It is complicated in terms of the verbiage that's used in it. There's a lot of terms of art in there that um, even I am not completely familiar with, Um, a lot of statistical analysis. This was from a journal of social psychology, and my background is in clinical psychology, and I was looking up shit left and right because in this, I mean, here's what I want to point out uh, just for a moment if I... If I will, um, I don't even know why I'm saying that because I'm going to. Sorry, Paul. Um, but uh, I'll allow it this one time, <laughs> or or all the other fifty <laughs> times I've done it. Um, but uh, I, I mean, I talk a lot about um, research being. Um, this thing that people are like, oh, I read this research article and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no, you fucking didn't. Like research is thick and it's dense. And I just want to point out, like, I am a clinical psychologist. I did not study social psychology. I studied clinical psychology, but holy crap, is it close? Okay. The, the two things are very similar. And what I'm saying is I read through the article and it was dense for me. So if it was dense for me, I know it was dense for you. However, you're a lawyer and you practice this shit all the time. So I think you're better at it than a lot of people. And honestly, probably even better than me. But when I hear someone who's not formally trained in any of this stuff at all, reading and dissecting arguments in certain things or reading science, and they go, I read this research article, I go, "Mm, I don't trust you. I don't trust what you took away from it. This article required me to do a lot of research and looking things up because off the bat... I didn't know what it was talking about with a lot of things. I didn't know what it meant. Like I knew what it meant sort of just, but I didn't know what it really meant. Like what they were implying specifically with certain things, because that's what they're trying to do. It's about, as you say a lot, the nuances or me, I say a lot like the intricacies or the splitting hairs, like the technicality of it. You know, when someone cuts you off and they're like, well, technically that's not it. Like, there's a point to that sometimes, and especially in science, is it's like, let's get this right because this could be misinterpreted. And so, I mean, I found myself looking up tons of terms just to really get on board with what certain things were meaning. So um, I did yeah, want to text you you can't you just that. imply it. No, you can't. And I did want to text you that like, hey, Paul, you're going to have to look up a lot of terms for this podcast. But you know what? Fuck it. Let's try. So anyways, sorry for cutting you off. I will do it Oh, so we're going to do what you hate other people doing. I see how it is, Bob. That's not Is this our all. attempt at being lazy? That is not at <laughs> no, all I, I, I see said. It. I know. I see what you're saying. Um, 
Well, basically what I'm going to do is I'll just, I'd like to read the abstract. I mean, it's 114 words, so it's not long. Um, And then I'll just, I have a few pages marked on here. So I'll talk about it. It may sound kind of complicated initially, just me reading it. So uh, the listeners may be like, what the heck is he even talking about? At the end, I'll kind of go into um, the gist of it, basically. But the title of the study is called Do-Gooder Derogation disparaging morally motivated minorities to diffuse anticipated reproach. So already a fucking mouthful. Exactly. And, but the thing is, is that all of those uh, words are terms of art. So if a social psychologist is reading that, um, they're going to know right away what that means because yeah, they've been trained in that. So they know exactly how to interpret it and it saves time and space. So it allows, you know, when studies are coming out constantly, you want them to be precise and specific. So you use terms of art that a lay person may find uh, complicated. And this was by um, a someone by the name of Julia Minson. She's out of the University of Pennsylvania. And then uh, Benoit... Monin out of Stanford University. And like you said, this is 2011. So and the if, abstract... If I might really quick add on to what you were saying, um, in science yeah. there's this thing called parsimony and sort of what you're saying is like the more precise and specific we can be, the simpler it makes it for everybody to interpret. And so that's kind of why yes. scientists will use these terminologies and you can't pull them out of context and say, well, degradation in this means this. It's like, well, what does it mean in social science though? The reason they're using that big exactly. term is because there is a very specific meaning and this makes it simple and it, it reduces yeah. it to its simplest form and so consistent language creates what we call parsimony or simplism um, to understanding things that might be complex sorry continue yeah yeah we do the same thing with uh, in the law so yeah. a perfect example of that is uh, negligence mm-hmm. a lot of people ha- know what negligence is but when you hear that as an attorney it just means you have uh, a duty you breach that duty there's a two-factor um, uh, component of causation, and then you have to prove damages. Yeah. So I would when you hear negligence, has something like that in their line of work. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. It's just uh, you shorten it in that way. You know that the people that are reading it, um, if they're legally trained, they already know what negligence means. If you aren't legally trained, then you'd have to kind of look that up. Or a lot of times the cases will spell it out eventually, but they'll use terms like negligence, and you're supposed to know that it's a it's a four-part test and part of one of those factors is usually a two-part test in terms of causation it's uh cause and fact and then proximate cause but there's no point in getting into all that but uh yeah it's just terms of art and it makes it easier to read and it's just kind of like what i think it was mark twain that said um i wrote you a long letter because i didn't have time to write you a short one it's it's you you know it's it's harder to be precise and sure. specific yeah. it takes time but there's a benefit to that because it allows someone who's trained in the field to read through it quickly and read through it um, and understand it precisely and specifically i've never heard that so. term before or sorry that um what would you call that uh what you just said from mark twain that um i don't know just a turn of phrase a saying proverb yeah. proverb yeah. there you go proverb that's a that's a good mm. way to describe it Never heard that before. But I'll like start it. off. Yeah, and I'm hoping it is from Mark Twain. So if someone looks it up, <laughs> let, let me let me know if it isn't from Mark Twain because you know quotes float all over. I'm going to look it up right now. You said it, I wanted to write you a, a short letter, but it was easier to write a long one. 
No, no, no. Uh, I wrote you a long letter because I didn't have time oh, to write yeah, you a yeah, short one. Go. Okay, go. Go. Are you looking it up? No, go. Okay. Oh, okay. Uh, so I'll start off with the abstract. And they basically did two uh, independent studies within Dude, that this. that was partic- from Pascal, buddy. Was it from Pascal? Yeah. <laughs> Well, good thing you see. We we need someone that's researching as I go because Ask, I attribute it, yeah. and I probably heard it from someone that attributed it to Mark Twain originally because I don't recall actually reading that. Uh, actually, so that's un- how underneath it. I'm looking at another one that says uh, it was from Mark Twain. So I've got two two contradicting things. But Pascal was wow. a philosopher and a mathematician, so you know uh, Mark Twain might have read it from Pascal and then could be uh, misattributed I I don't know more people definitely read Mark Twain than they do Pascal Um, I only know Pascal well one because of math and that was the first time but uh, I took a philosophy of religion course and he wrote an essay called The Wager which states that um, uh, you should believe in God uh, because if you were in Vegas he doesn't say Vegas, but if you were gambling, you literally, it's at no cost to you, but the rewards of winning are infinite. And that was like the premise of the wager. Um, so that I is see. why I'm familiar with him. We don't need to get into that at all. Um, but uh, anyways, um, I would imagine no more people know Mark Twain than they do Pascal. Yeah, no, I would agree. Um, okay, so... The wait, reason Paul, why we're wait 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 let me cut you off seventeen more times. <laughs> well, thank you, Bob. No, I'm already used to it, dude. You don't have to. <laughs> All right, sorry. Continue. Uh, but the uh, the reason why we're getting into this study is because it, it I think it fits perfectly with what's going on today and what we've been trying to describe. So I'll just read the abstract real quick since it's short. It's two studies document do-gooder derogation. And what they mean by do-gooder derogation is the putting down of morally motivated others. And it's by studying the reactions of meat eaters to vegetarians. So the do-gooder and, and, is like the the... The vegetarian. Yeah, somebody who's trying to do good and the degradation is like somebody bringing that person down for attempting to do something good. Yes, and, and sometimes it's not even, you know, vegetarians aren't necessary do, necessarily doing it for moral reasons. It's Correct. because they want a better health, health outcome. But the assumption that meat eaters have is that they're doing it because they think that they're better. Right. So they basically did a couple studies within this paper, or looked at a, or conducted a couple studies that were reviewed in this paper. And it says in study one, 40, 47% of participants freely associated negative terms with vegetarians and the valence of the words was negatively related to how much participants expected vegetarians to see themselves as morally superior to non-vegetarians. In other words, so that, that was saying something along the lines of like one meat eaters or non-vegetarians, um, associate like vegetarians with just negative things like that, that like they're going to be judgmental or something like that. Um, is that correct? Yeah. Well, I actually, instead of me finishing the rest of the abstract, cause I think if I was to read this, I think a lot of people would be like, what in the heck is he talking well, no, about? So basically, honestly, that's why I'm breaking it down and stopping and like trying to make sure you and I are on the same page because it yeah. is so loaded with words that are, uh, trying to make it easier for social psychologists, but like uh-huh. are hard for us to read. So like, honestly, I still don't, I, I feel like I got the gist of the article, but I, there are things that are very 
easily misinterpreted. So that's why I'm sort of stopping exactly. you and breaking it down is more for like the listener. Um, and then also just to make sure we're on the same page. So I say keep going and let's just keep breaking it down. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll finish the, the last part of it and then I'll go in and I'll tell you basically just in general terms uh, what study one meant and then what study two meant, like okay. what type of things were they doing to make those two studies different? So it says in study two, we manipulated the salience of anticipated moral reproach by varying whether participation uh, participants reported these expectations before or after rating ve- vegetarians. I have no idea what that meant. Well, I'll, I'll get into it, but as predicted, and this is the outcome, as predicted, the pars- the participants rated vegetarians less positively after imagining their moral judgment of meat eaters. These studies empirically document the backlash reported by moral minorities and trace it back to resentment by the mainstream against the feeling of being morally judged. So in study one, what they basically did is they asked, they separated groups. So they asked them what type of foods that they ate and they found, okay, well, these people are vegetarian, so we're going to exclude them from the study. So they only focused on meat eaters. They had them evaluate how they viewed themselves from a moral standpoint, which, uh, um, which was rather high. And then they then asked them, well, how do you view vegetarians? In general, and they would ask them open-ended questions. So it wasn't like, oh, choose from these choices. They would say, uh, I believe that vegetarians are, and they would say, list three words that would describe that person. And then I can flip to... And then so they would like code the words. Like if someone put annoying, then that would be like uh, an aggravated tone. Or if they put like judgmental, then that would be like an angry tone. Or like, so I'm sure they coded these things. Well, and they put them into specific groups and everything according to the types of words. So it says they had food-related words, which were vegetables and tofu, descriptions of physical characteristics, skinny, pale, and then psychosocial characteristics, preachy, liberal, uh, and then physical weaknesses, skinny, thin, pale, and then negative social characteristics, self-righteous, annoying, crazy. I like that. Pale's a weakness. Yeah, but the funny thing, though, is that... uh, I think I want to start using that as an insult. Like, someone bumps into me at the bar, I'm going to be like, what the fuck, you pale bitch? (laughs) You just call me pale? Casper-looking motherfucker. (laughs) but so they did, they get, they got those word associations and then they conducted a second study. Um, and basically what they did in the second study is that they allowed the meat eaters to prime themselves before answering questions about their views on the morality of vegetarians and how they viewed them in general. And the way that they did this is they would ask them to look at themselves, uh, morally and how they felt about themselves morally. And then they asked him, well, how do you think that vegetarians view you as a meat eater? And that primed them to think about how they would view them negatively. And then that led to more extreme outcomes in terms of their views on vegetarians. So that was the do-gooder degradation, or derogation. They're basically anticipating and looking at the fact that 
in their mind, vegetarians view them as less than morally, and that anticipation led them to conclude more harshly that vegetarians are lacking in morals and are the problem. So, so I want to break that down even further, um, or try to make it even simpler if that's possible, and say that like yeah. in that second study, <clears throat> they said, think about how a vegetarian thinks of you. And then yeah. they said, now what do you think about vegetarians? And there was a difference when when they were asked to think about what a vegetarian thinks of them, there was a difference. So they thought vegetarians like would hate them almost or, or whatever. And thinking about that, that a vegetarian would be judgmental, made them judge vegetarians more harshly because they feel like they're being judged harshly by the vegetarians. Correct? Yes. Okay. Yeah, exactly. It'd be the same exact thing if you were to, um, I mean, did, this, uh, in that second study, did they make them write, do the same thing, like write words about the vegetarians again? Yeah. Or, okay. It was, a, yeah, it was the same exact thing, but the ro- so results were just more extreme. Writing, like scrawny little wuss and like, like, oh yeah. And they even had, uh, anemic. some phrases in there were, were like, they need to keep their shit to themselves. I mean, these are graduate students that they were polling. Right. And the so, grad students, you, you know, the meat eating grad students, they were like, you know, keep their, you know, their shit to themselves. Which Vegans they can eat whatever they said, want. Which they didn't say. Without the priming. Without that priming. I did read that mm-hmm. part where, where it's like, they can, they can eat whatever they want. They just need to stop, you know, um, pushing it on everybody else or something like that. I don't, that's not yeah. the exact wording, but it was something to that effect. Um, so Paul, I mean, look, we've sort of broken it down as, as, as simple as we, we could. There's somebody who is like, I don't know, here's my problem with the article. And, and I don't know if it's a general problem, but I could see people having problems with it. It almost implies right off the bat that vegetarians are somehow moral, morally superior, doesn't it? That they're concluding that vegetarians are morally superior? Yeah. So, so well, they, they in, did the, s- in the, literally in the title of it, they're calling a vegetarian a do-gooder. So they're saying like vegetarians are better but than other people. But it's a perceived do-gooder. It's, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a um, minority group. Veg- vegetarians are uh-huh. yep. a minority within the general population. Some of them do view themselves as morally superior, but they were saying that the whole entire group is labeled as thinking that they're better than everyone else when that isn't necessarily the truth. And it says here, on the scales used in our studies, meat eaters thought they were perceived as more immoral than actual ratings offered by vegetarians. Therefore, although, yeah, so therefore, although vegetarians do look down on meat eaters, uh, morality somewhat, they are less self-righteous than they are perceived to be. Do-gooder derogation may thus be a preemptive strike against a threat that is vastly exaggerated. And that is the world that we live in. If you were to ask someone what their view is of Democrats and that person happens to be a conservative, it's going to fall in line with this study. If you were to prime them by first saying, well, describe how Democrats would look at you. And then ask them how they would feel about Democrats. Then all of a sudden it becomes more extreme. And both sides are doing this. Like if you ask someone how they view a Republican when you're a Democrat, you would say a lot of them, like you see on Twitter and everything, would say, oh, racist, bigot, evangelical. I mean, even with religion, there's a lot of people on the left that 
are non-religious and when they hear the word evangelical they all of a sudden think oh they're high and mighty judgmental and all of this kind of bullshit that's not necessarily the case and that's why i think it's so important that we talk about this stuff because it it exists on all aspects of ideology and it becomes worse if you don't engage with the person and I'll I'll just mention your fiance's sister I talked with her when we went to Sequoia National Park and we were talking about her being a vegan and I asked her I was like is this a um are you trying to benefit your, yourself in terms of health? Like, are you looking at it scientifically or is this a moral thing for you? And she's like, well, no, it's not about my health. It's just a, a moral thing. And I used to have resentment against vegans because I thought exactly what this paper said, that they were, you know, somehow superior to me and they were looking down upon me because of what I ate. And I, I told her right then and there, I was like, you're a better person than me. I'm like, you're, you're, you're doing something that, isn't necessarily dietarily satisfactory to you, but you're doing it because you don't like the thought of animals dying. And I don't like the thought of animals dying either. I don't even know if I could take an animal's life if I was presented with the opportunity. Um, and, and yet I just go down to the local supermarket and I just consume food or I'll just buy a thing of chicken and I get like a, a, a tinge of happiness because it says free range, but I don't know what free range means or if they're even being treated well to begin with, you know? Um, so I, I just want to point out Paul that, uh, when I lived with you, I was vegan. So essentially, and I judged you. (laughs) So essentially you're saying I was conservative. I was judging the whole entire time. Like this motherfucker is out in front of the house at 6am. He looks skinny, pale, half dead. And he's drinking a rock star and smoking a cigarette. And he's judging me because I I eat meat, macaroni, cheese baked taters you know, and a 30 pack of beer but, each night but Fuck this it. is such like, a good conversation though because like hey i'm not gonna hold that against you i think it's hilarious uh <laughs> i mean b you could say something like that to me right now and i would still get a kick out of it and have a good conversation like literally paul yeah. you could you could call me out on anything uh and because like we have such a history together and you and i also both I, I don't know. We know each other well enough to where it's like, dude, you could be like, why, why are you doing this? Like, you're stupid. You you feel like judgy this and that. Like, I wouldn't be like, Jesus, Paul is this and that. I don't know if I want to talk to him anymore. I like, I wouldn't take offense to it at all. And I would still 100% be your friend anyways. Um, and I think most people <laughs> could do that because we're all human beings. And like I said, on previous podcasts, uh, we can connect on a million different levels. I don't think most people levels. can do that, Paul. I, there you, you'd be, well, I mean, if it requires effort, I mean, look at me when I was judging you, I was still like in my, my bubbled Fox news phase where, you know, they throw up a, a picture of PETA and they'd show <laughs> like people marching and burning down Hummer dealerships. And I'm well, like, God damn it. They're ruining capitalism. They're not patriots. I remember like, I used to donate to um, not PETA, but what is like the Greenpeace? I used to donate to Greenpeace, and I remember one day they mailed me a piece of mail, and it it said instead of Trader Joe's with a D, it said Traitor Joe's with a T T I O R. Like they're traitors. Boycott Trader Joe's because they're fish. This and that, and I remember getting it and going like. But Trader Joe's is the ally. They're the ones making tons of like vegetarian friendly meals available and vegan, tons of vegan food like themselves. Like they, they are paying their employees decently and they're trying to work on their packaging. Like, like, why are you calling them a trader? They're on our side. Like, why aren't you focused on Vaughn's or Ralph's or Albertson's or like somebody else? Like, Like no one's ever good enough. 
Yeah, I I definitely And they agree. hurt them they hurt themselves cuz they can't they can't unite over everything. Like the right they always seem to have their shit together. Like they'll unite over everything. I mean, <laughs> you know. I mean, literally the walk in lockstep I, with one another even though they may have differences, they can get past that and seem to make it work. Whereas on the left it's like a hierarchy of wokeness and it's like, well Trader Joe's is doing God, uh, a good is, job. That is such a good assessment though because they could be, yeah. The right will be. And we're like, on the left. Yeah, the, the, <laughs> we're on the left. Well, I mean, we're we're yes, uh, we're somewhere in there. But, Lefter, um, people, yeah, moderate. People, I would say. I can feel I like I see somebody on the right or the the left being like, "Hey, that guy's racist," and somebody on the right will be like, "He's not racist. He just said this." And then the guy would be like, "Actually, I'm racist." And he'd be like, "Well, I mean, but you have good intentions. Come on, like they will band together, <laughs> even though they're they're against it." Like I, I saw this yeah. page recently on Facebook. Um, and there's somewhat of a connection on why I stumbled upon it, but it's called um, uh, the Repunk-Lican Party. Like instead of Republicans, Repunk-Lican. And it's punk rockers who are fed up with um, all the leftist propaganda and punk, punk rock, which, I mean, punk is sort of based off of like anarchy. And like, I, I don't know. Anyways, let's not get into yeah. that. Um, but uh, anyways, one of the people on there is like, Come on, like, let's be the examples. Let's show everybody we're not homophobic and Islamophobics and racists and, and this and that. And I, I like literally just pictured myself like infiltrating to make a joke. I'm like, dude, I should totally make a trolling account. And only because I thought it was funny, not because I do this, where I was like, where I was like, yeah, come on, we got to be the example, like, except for Jewish people, like, fuck them. But, but we got to lead the example, like, <laughs> because of exactly what you're saying, that to lead it. But, on the flip side, like you said, the left encompasses this thing where it's like you could be on their side and all of a sudden you're getting attacked from them. You're like, I'm trying to say the same thing. And it's like, but you didn't say it how I said it. And it's like, ah, OK, sorry, I'm slightly different. Why are you fighting me now? Like like just that person saying to me, like, dude, if, if you don't vote for Biden, you, you're if you don't vote for Biden, you are voting for Trump. It doesn't yeah. matter if you vote for a third party for Greenpeace. If you don't vote for him, you are voting for Trump. And it's that type of mentality that it's like, fuck you. I'm not voting for Trump. Don't put me into that category at all. And don't try and threaten me or scare me or intimidate me to vote for Biden. I'm not fucking voting for Biden. I'm not going to judge you if you are. I get where you're coming from. And I get where you're coming yeah. from if you're voting for Trump. Like, like nobody understands the full picture. And we all just, just have our things. But don't... Don't try and like scare me into this thing where you're going to throw me in this category or disown me or, or now you're describing me as you describe the people on the other side. Like, fuck. Well, they're trying know. to make you look morally inferior. And the problem yes. is, is that this what's happened is that someone is trying to do the right thing and they're um, left leaning and everything. And then they say the wrong thing and the context is completely stripped of what they said. Or maybe they're just in uh, a moment of a if if extreme you know action and it's just a one time one off thing and they get treated so poorly that they finally are just like you know what I've had enough of this I'm fucking voting for Trump 
Like these people were supposed to be on my side. I thought we were all in it together. Like I'm not perfect. I thought the part of the left was to uh, allow people to be imperfect, imperfect right. vessels. You know, you know, not always conforming to whatever the mainstream might be to be your own individual, and then to to love each other because that there there's those differences. And now it's like, well, if you're not wa- walking in lockstep, you're just alienated, and you find that some people have just completely jumped ships and said, hey, I'm going to vote for Trump because uh, I was on the, the side of the left, but it's like you can't win there. There's no point in even having an opinion. Sure. So, yeah, and I think that's the one of the issues with absolutism. Um, you know, I've I've had this idea for a while and it doesn't come from me. It, it branches from uh, Bertrand Russell and Ludwig Wittgenstein, um, the philosophers of language, um, and, and even... Um, Oh, what's his name? He talks about um, Alan Watts. There we go. Where um, we speak in absolutes because like mentally there's this game that we can we can play where we think and it, it creates these images in our mind when I say, oh, um, you know, everything is predetermined. There's no such thing as free will. And then someone argues back with me and they say, no, there's, there's totally free will. You can choose at any time. And now we're both speaking in absolutes. Someone is saying that, uh, the world is totally determined and somebody else is saying that, that there's free will. But the reality of it is, is that these are two ideas that are representations yeah. of things in the world, but exaggerations of them to the point of being something that doesn't actually exist. Meaning it's like we say that something is black or we say that something is white, but neither of those deals ideas actually exist. They just represent differentiations of the color gray. And so we speak in absolutes, uh, but these absolutes don't exist in the real world. What exists yeah. in the real world is gray and there are different shades of it, but we can't, can't talk about the shades if we don't have the idea of black and the idea of black and white to reference. And then so, yeah. so I say something like, well, you know, um, if you don't believe in this, then you're just a fascist or you're just a this or you're just a that. Um, you kill babies or you're going to hell. And it's like, come on, man, that's not the world. Like it, it's so more. But what, go ahead. Well, I think that, that that these are minorities within the population on both the left and the right. And the problem the is, is that the, the extremists, like the people that are willing to go online and say, uh, fuck you, racist, um, or, you know, make a racial uh, comment um, or a racist comment to someone on the Internet. Like those type of people that would go out of their way to do that are microcosms of the overall discussion. And I think Agreed. most people. But the thing is, is that just your average everyday person is on the Internet seeing all of this. And if you happen to fall on the right, you're assuming that everyone is judging you as this immoral bigot. And then if you're on, if you are on the left and you're looking at all the rhetoric from conservatives online, you assume that everyone is thinking that you're this inferior, weak sort of beta individual that can't stand up for themselves and looks for big daddy government to cover everything. And I don't think that that is necessarily indicative of the moderate middle of America. And yet 
that is what we typically see online and it's causing those moderates to become more extreme because of this study that we just talked about where they're they're yes. anticipating that the other person if they're wearing a Biden t-shirt that they're that fucking person that is making all these horrible comments online if you see the person in the Trump shirt wearing the MAGA hat whatever you're assuming that they are that racist bigot that you keep seeing online and it's like who has the time to comment in this type of way in that type of fashion i mean if everyone was in a road rage type of society on the freeways and everything i would never go on the freeway right like everyone's been involved in road rage incidents but it doesn't happen all the time because if it did we'd live in a very dangerous vehicular system and there'd be a lot of deaths and accidents but that is not what happens like i've been hearing about videos going around where there's white people that are being commanded to apologize for their white privilege and everyone's like see see that's what they want they want to control you and it's like that is such a microcosm sure and if and and how many times has it happened to these conservatives that are getting upset about it like well it's still happening it's like but you're putting so much emphasis on this one situation or a couple of them and that that like look at the kkk stuff that you see people marching down the streets how many kkk members are there right but we're going to live each and every day as if we're waking up next to, you know, Cooter, the KKK member. Like, I mean, that's <laughs> I like fucking ridiculous. Um, yeah, no, I look, I'm glad you bring it back around to the study because that's really what I wanted to talk about. How did you I, what were you thinking um, when? What were you thinking about the studies like relation to what's going on now? Because it wasn't just like Republican Democrat and it wasn't just like black and white. Specifically, there is some type of moral degradation that you saw parallel this study. And I I feel like maybe there's a specific example that we could dig up because we've... I feel like we've sort of been speaking generally like the left is morally degradating the right or vice versa. The right is morally degradating uh, the left. Um, is there something like very specific that you feel like is going on here that that parallels the study more identically than just a general statement like that? Um, I can't think of anything specifically. I mean, in it, I mean, I just mentioned the um, you know the video of uh, someone being forced to apologize for their white privilege, and I don't think I really even need a specific because we just live in a world of generalities. I mean, you walk out your front door and you see a Trump flag and you're a Democrat and you're automatically assuming everything uh, about that person, that yeah. you already know them right. better than they know themselves and that you haven't taken the time to actually have a conversation. You mentioned a woman last week that you were helping with uh, groceries and everything and then she's like, well, make sure you don't get vaccines because Bill Gates is trying to anal probe you with them, <laughs> like trying to track you yes. and like all this all well, this kind which, of stuff. by the way, it, he actually it, did you, anal probe me with it this week. So she was Oh, he did? Yes. But you asked for it though. That's that's true. different. Well, I told you, you her cons- I wanted to wait until after everybody else got it, but <laughs> yeah, but you, I didn't you were say hoping. explicitly that I didn't want it. So, <laughs> um, okay, okay, look, um, I mean, I do get where you're coming from with this because I will say this: I will say that um, there is a sense that when someone makes a statement about a leftist idea, and I will admittedly say I'm left leaning, but. Like I said, I feel betrayed by the left. I've abandoned them because they don't. Oh, I do too. They don't. 
They don't and represent. I just came into it last year. <laughs> what, and you just what? I just became, uh, you know, I, the last election was the first time I've ever voted uh, Democrat. <laughs> and, and, and I wasn't happy about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'm already feel betrayed. Yeah. I mean. I'm a snowflake. <laughs> well, I, I feel betrayed by it. And so, um, and so uh, I'm, I also say like, and maybe I said this last episode, but I don't feel very left anymore because I don't trust that if somebody votes to increase his taxes or governments that anybody can do that responsibly. It's not that I don't no. want to fix yeah. some of the things that these people are trying to fix. So it's like, I don't want to shy away from leftist ideas, but, but I also don't think that government is going to fix those things. And, and I don't think throwing more money at it is in the long run good. I'm just, I guess I'm skeptical after what I've seen. And you know, what yeah. I've seen has been a very short amount of time. I'm not trying to say that I know it all. It's just currently with what's been going on, I really don't trust anybody to give them my tax money and say, hey, build me, build me a new high school um, Mister, because we went to Vasquez and people call us Trailer Trash High, and and there's a website that says Trailer Trash High, and uh, and people are they said fun that of was racist and, too, and and we need a real school, and then everyone's like, yeah, let's vote on that, and they're like, ha ha, they voted on it, let's take all the money and do other shit with it, um, and I'm just like, <laughs> I was interviewed for that. <laughs> Wait, what, <laughs> were you? Yeah, the reporter like asked me, well, they didn't run it because it's not what they wanted to run. They were just like, well, how do you feel about it? Because it's they spray painted trailer trash high on a football field. And I'm a football player, but we live in a trailer park like it gets. I mean, not live. We uh, we went to school in essentially a trailer park. Like every time it would rain, uh, the the best thing about the campus, aside from the fact that it would flood with the the water would flow underneath the buildings because they were on stilts. And they asked me like, well, so how do you feel about it? I'm like, I thought it was pretty funny. And they're just like, okay, we're going to move on. Then yeah, they I asked mean, someone else how they felt about it. Then one, they had like a, okay, oh, sorry. No, I was just saying there wasn't one permanent building there for the whole four years I was there. Um, yeah. and the and one that they had was condemned. That, that wasn't even permanent. That was a rental. That was like, that was a, uh, the gym. Oh yeah, that was, they were renting the gym. I remember uh, we accidentally. Well, it cost five hundred thousand dollars, and this is what you're talking about with money and implementing. You're talking about you agree with the Democrat, uh, the Democrats' philosophy, yep. but you abhor their failed implementation of these policies. Correct. And that gym is a perfect example. Cost us five, cost us five hundred thousand dollars. And like you're saying, I didn't know that there was rent associated with that, so we're paying rent on top wrong, of that. But- and then the fire department came in there and condemned it because it was at risk of burning down if there was ever right. a, a fire event in there. So it was condemned and we weren't allowed to use it. It's, and that's that's an example of a failed um, implementation. I think this is a good analogy. It's like communism. It sounds good, but like I, I don't think it's going to work. Okay. Well, like, it won't work because that's it's too easily corruptible. Democracy yeah. Oh, yeah. is corruptible, but it's the least corruptible form of sure. government that we I'm, found yet. I'm fine with that. I, I 100% yeah. agree. And so where I'm at with the Democratic Party is it sounds good, but like it doesn't work. They're, nobody's doing it. They're, they're too easily bought out by other people and doing stuff and just worrying about the next elections and power and money and all that yeah. good shit. So, yeah, no, I, I agree with the philosophy. I agree with the philosophy of lots of lots of things I don't believe in. I believe uh, communism sounds great. Democracy or, or Democrat sounds great. 
great. Capitalism working itself sounds great. Christianity, fucking fantastic. Um, you know, all these things, they sound, they sound wonderful. I just, I've yeah. never seen them executed properly. And so therefore I'm not going to sit there and back them up. So it's like I say, I'm left leaning. What I really mean is I'm liberal, but I also don't believe, um, that any government or any official in government is going to be effective with my tax money, um, which is why then I tend to lead, lean towards people who are like, let's get rid of that crap. Let's get rid of yeah. this interfering party, this this mediator who's not really mediating very well. This They're just benefiting from everybody, right? Um, it'd be like, yeah. you've got a referee for a hockey game and they're throwing every game. They're not, they're not really refing anymore and calling good shots. They're just doing things so that they can win bets that they've been placed in, placing in the middle and make money for themselves. And it's just like, at yeah. some point you well, go, here's- fucking throw the refs out so we can get back to playing hockey. Like, and, yeah. and that's where I'm at. It's like, at some point, like, let's throw these people out, like get rid of the Republicans and the Democrats and, and, and the people who are saying that they're that and representing us. And let's just get back to like, to trying to live in a better world and a better nation. And really that's all we want on either side. Like I don't yeah. talk to these people who are hardcore Republican and they're like, yeah, no, I, I really hope the worst for certain people in here. And my ideas would only benefit me and not other people. They genuinely think this is what's best for everybody. Whether, yeah. whether you're black, white, queer, straight, this or that yeah. or the other, whether you're blue collar, white collar, yeah. this is how we will all prosper together for the most yeah. part. I'm not saying everybody. I'm saying for the most part. But yeah, but we're not doing that. We're just thinking, like you said, there's this moral degradation thing where it's like they're the enemy. And I, I what I did want to say earlier is that that I do have this feeling sometimes where I, I go on maybe Facebook or something or someone makes a comment and all of a sudden I'm feeling like I'm being personally attacked and judged. Um, and so I'm not saying that I am the do-gooder in this situation. I'm saying because I'm feeling like when I think of this person that they are harshly judging me that I then sort of lash out to them or, or get defensive or attack them and in reality, I'm being extremely egocentric because this person has a whole other life. They're not just basing this shit off of me. They're not just thinking, oh, blah, blah, blah. And part of it's like, well, they're generalizing and thinking that I am this person, but I'm not even proving them wrong. I'm sort of playing into it by defending yeah. this point of view as opposed to possibly agreeing with them. But then I don't want to agree with like. I don't know. Man. Well, they're not attacking you necessarily. I mean, you know a lot of these individuals, and so do I. And yeah. I think it's like the and study I'm said. Like friends they're with pre- them. We get together yeah. and we'll like have a beer, and probably if we bring this up, get nowhere near to being as as vicious. But I will say, then maybe that's just us being polite and not bringing out our true ideas. Yeah. Anyways, continue with your thought. Well, I was just going to say that uh, I think a lot of times, if it if it like you say you're feeling attacked, but a lot of times what they are doing is that they are preemptively being uh, cursory in their response to you and being kind of um, short with their response because they're anticipating that you're not going to give them the time of day. Yeah. And so nothing is getting fixed. And that's exactly what we're saying with this whole study and everything is that that's what's basically happening in our society. 
You is know, it, both uh, both sides are operating off of fear in right. a general sense. It's fear of the unknown. So we look to people that have a platform to mold that fear for us. If it's Fox News, the whole world's coming to an end. Globalism is starting with the autonomous zone in Seattle right now. And then if you're on the left, the right is trying to institute systemic racism on a constant what basis. Is, and they just the want to atom- keep the autonomous zone. Yeah, it's the Capitol Hill autonomous zone. They call it Chaz. And it's a zone where the police have basically been pulled back. Why and do they call it jazz? I have no idea. I'm literally- I, well, it's, it's Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone. Like, that's the reason why they oh, call okay. it that. But they okay. shortened it to Chaz, I'm, so you're not having to say sure. Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone of, each and every time. Wasn't the guy from Wedding Crashers, Chaz, Will Ferrell? And he's like, Mom, where's the fucking meatloaf? <laughs> I, wasn't I, that his I, name I, was Chaz? I don't, I don't remember. It would, it would uh, make sense, yeah. I can totally see the, the kid who's living there is probably named Chaz. Yeah, well, I and, you know, even with the autonomous zone and everything, it's funny because they're turning it into a society that has its own police. (laughs) So it's like it's like, well, it's going to be different because we're going to have laws that control their behavior. It's like, oh, like the police that we have. Like, why don't we just take instead of that's why I don't understand why the right is so upset about people calling to defund. It's like such a it's such a microcosm of the Democratic Party that are saying that kind of stuff. And it's like the people on the right, they're like, we just need to defund the education system because it's not working. It's like, okay, so just fire all the teachers and just let it go away. Like, and we'll just do it on our own. Like, why don't we just reform the structure that's already there if there's a problem let's just reform it and that's what they're trying to do in Chaz they're starting their own supply chains they're uh, creating their own enforcement mechanism their own sort of police and all that and like oh it's going to be better it's like that that documentary what's it called is it wild it's not wild wild west it's not wild wild west but there's documentary on Netflix about it I was thinking that but it's on it's about um, is it wild country Wild, wild country. There we go. Or wild country, something like that. But it's a documentary where it's about this commune and everyone's like freaking out in Oregon, like, oh, they have a... they have arms and they're, they're a cult and they're going to spread their views and they're going to turn into something that we can't manage. And guess what? It just failed. Yeah. It's because I, it, it doesn't work. You it know, will never work. Anarchy will never work. It's not something to fear. It's just an outcome that happens typically after a disaster. And then, and then society just kind of regains a foothold yeah. laws put, get put in place. And then we start to function like a society again. When you, when you read about uh, Waco and Ruby Ridge, um, I've been reading about it at least a little bit because the Waco, uh, series came on Netflix. You're like, dude, that is pretty fucked up. I remember that when I was a kid, like the whole Waco yeah. thing going down and then you watch it and you're yeah. like, like, I mean, yeah, it was sort of like a cult and stuff. And I know, um, you know, it, there are, are certain things in that Netflix really is like pushing an agenda and trying to make it a story. And some of it's probably not true, but you're like, yeah, dude, why is the government coming in and, 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 doing this shit like that doesn't seem like this should be their role or what they're concerned about it's not like they were like and let's fucking take over the world and destroy the government it's like i i don't know why they had a foothold but with their kids being abused and and sexually abused was there any sort of that wasn't there some sort of proof with that or not but again i'm not reading super deep into it so i could be totally wrong don't quote me on on that i want to well it's a 
I want to go back though. You, you said, um, yeah. you know, that, uh, these, these extremes on the end edge are sort of fringe, but what I want to point out and bring back to that study again is that while when you say defund the police, it's just a few people who are on the outside and feel very fringe about that. Again, you have this thing where then people feel defensive of that idea because their identity is the left. And and then they start defending it and they're like, well, defund doesn't mean that. And if you just did some simple research and even though I'm left leaning, I read that and go, yeah, but can't you understand that that defund that sounds like get rid of like you come on like you're trying to get a message reform. across like look at how somebody else's work yes use the word reform use the word like like reallocation of part of funds exactly. or something but when you say defund exactly you have to know certain people are gonna think that way like like and people just immediately try and defend it and i get where both sides are coming from and i do think this um this uh, research article does a good job of highlighting that, but I want to pull it back even further than you bringing up the research article is you bringing up being solution oriented and us trying to get back onto being more solution oriented. And so because we're already at 60 minutes, I don't want to end the podcast here, but I want to spend at least the next little bit of time of, of, okay, so let's talk about some solutions. We talked about some problems today. We talked about, people being defensive, um, people morally, um, degradating. I don't even know if I'm saying the right word, but like derogation, yeah. Moral degradation to, to one side or another. So like, what do we do then to fix this, Paul? Because we do, we need to start being really solution oriented in, in all of our approaches. Like it literally does us no good. Calling somebody out for hypocrisy is not a solution at all. I, if you pull it, let's make that clear. Calling someone yeah. out on hypocrisy, saying they're wrong, trying to prove them wrong is not yeah. a solution. Tell them something to do. Don't tell them what not to do. When I was in high school, I'd get in trouble all the time. I get in trouble for doing stupid shit or stealing or goofing off in class. And it's like, I was bored out of my mind. You could tell me what not to do all day long. And because I hang out with people who are like goof offs and sort of troublemakers and, and don't take things seriously. Do you think you telling me don't do that all of a sudden I'm just going to do the right thing or or do you think I'm going to yeah. do something else goofy and silly and silly? Make a bet. Let's bet a thousand dollars. You think I'm going to all of a sudden just do the right thing? Like you're fucking Absolutely out of not. your mind. If you think all of a sudden I'm yeah. just going to shape up because you said, Hey, don't do that. You're in trouble. Tell me what yeah. I should do instead. And so w- one thing I at least want to start getting across, and maybe this is a solution is, is we just can't sit here trying to solve this problem or 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 talking about whatever you feel the problem is, whether it's it's um, racism or I've heard some people saying bringing up the fact that that uh, or maybe not the fact they don't think it's a fact, but calling this racist itself is the problem. Okay, all you're doing now is po- you telling me what not to do. Tell me what to do instead. This is where. Well, I want to start. This is what I think the yeah. solution is, is stop telling people how they are wrong and start telling them how they're right. And I don't, I don't know what I want to start saying to people with, with my answer already. This is my own medicine and I don't know how to take it quite yet. I just well, thought it. So go. 
to just understand that that we're all going to have various emotional responses. Like my emotional responses when I was a conservative are much different than now. But uh, I'll give you, like yesterday, I went for a hike with a friend and we met up in Santa Barbara. And for whatever reason, I broke from what I'm even saying now in terms of like trying to understand the other person. I got uh-huh. into this like, because we were limited on time. And I was basically just saying like, you know, Trump is this, you know, he's he's a reflection of a society gone wrong. Like we're in a bad place and that's why he's a reflection of us and yeah. we cannot have this guy elected again. And I started talking at her. And then, you know, her response is like, well, everyone just blames Trump for everything. And like I was thinking about it on the way home, I'm like, I just did exactly, <laughs> you know, like what I'm talking about not doing. But every single other conversation we've had have been very, very productive. But the thing is, they take a lot of time and you have to set aside time. What takes a lot of time? You said they do. The conversations? Trying- the conversations, like if you have five minutes to have a conversation about Trump and it's two sides that have differing views, you're not going to get anywhere because it's like cable news. Like you just, you have to tell the other person what you're thinking and why they're wrong because you only have two minutes per side. If you're lucky, maybe it's just as low as like 30 seconds per side. But the the benefit of like, if you truly want to understand, like if you are a uh, conservative and you are really afraid of globalism and and the left and anarchy and everything, and you fear that that is the the course that we're on. I I just go down to one of these protests and engage with someone there. Don't search for the person that represents like what you know you're going to hate. Find and talk to as many people as you can, like I did at the protests, uh, the conservative protests that I went to about a month ago now, and try to understand like what they're thinking and feeling. And as you do, the emotions and the feelings that you hold about people will subside because you realize, like you know, like with the uh, the medical freedom movement and the the movement that is against mandatory vaccinations. Um, they're, they're, they're mothers that are truly terrified for the health of their kids. I'm going to be and realistic. That's the- how, many, how many people do you think would hear this and then actually change their behavior because of that? How many people do you think? Uh, well, I'm a perfect go, example. You are. I'm. But how many? People- so it doesn't happen all the time. It doesn't happen all the time. But it, but I know that the the people that that got me to double down on my views back in the day were the ones that said, "Fuck you, you're a bigot. Fuck you, you're a racist. <laughs> you're a piece of shit, and you don't know what you're thinking." And I'm just like, "Oh, that's exactly what Fox News told me you would say. So fuck you." <laughs> like, yeah. You know. And then I go back to my comfort blanket, which is Fox News, and be like, "Oh, tell me, tell me how good I am. Tell me how." Much of a patriot I am. What about globalism? Keep me like, what warm about the inside. deep state? Yeah. No, I know, and so. that's that's exactly how I'd feel about like uh, Stephen Colbert or, or like uh, Bill Maher or something like that. It's just like making you warm and fuzzy inside and laugh because the other side's fucking stupid. Those fucking idiots. Like, yeah, I can't tell you how much that makes me cringe when I see someone like write fucking libertards or or racist this and 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 it's like. You've got the double label there so you can associate and pair these two terms together so that when other people say it, like if you're 
repulsed by one. Now you're going to be repulsed by the other. Um, yeah, it's, you know, it's a a psychology game where it's like, you got to put the two things together because saying one of them needs to be paired as an insult. And I want these two things to be synonymous that when I call you a Republican, that's an insult. Or if I call you conservative or, or, um, a libertarian, people know you're a retard. Um, like that is a psychological game that, that is really a fallacy to just try and get people to think a certain way without having a strong argument against it. It's just an emotional argument. It's Um, just a complete emotional argument. So, so again, I want to start then like focusing back to the, the solutions then, uh, with that. And I mean, really you said like, well, if you only have five minutes, like you just, you got to get your point off and this and that. I mean, I, I think maybe we should start looking at it and I don't know how many people will really do this because I'm just saying this because of my background, but like, it's almost like, I feel like we should just start giving advice to somebody who is in need of help. (laughs) You know, it's like the other side says like, well, you're doing this, this and this. And, and like, you're promoting these, all these ideas of, of races being separate. And I don't think that's the case. I think that in itself is promoting racism. Um, and maybe instead of coming back and being like, how do you not see that it's racist or yada, yada, yada. Um, maybe we say something along the lines to that person of, you know, um, I think your point would get across a lot better if, um, you, you didn't use the term racism to describe this because to me that implies yada, yada, yada. And maybe this is a better term for what you're trying to describe. Um, Or reframe it and create an analogy uh, because sometimes these issues are so contentious that you're just never going to, you know, make headway by using the example that's currently in conflict. So if you analogize it, I think you can uh, kind of diffuse the point of contention. That's why I like today on my hike, um, I was thinking about the mask mandate and do we have enough time for me? To- yeah, let's, let's dive into that. And I think that'll wrap up the podcast. We're at, uh, it, we're at like 70 minutes right now. So we're fine. We got like 20 yeah. more minutes. Okay. And I guess apparently last week, uh, one of the health officials in Orange County, she issued a mandate um, to wear masks for that particular county or city. And there was a bunch of backlash. She got death threats. She got uh, threats of physical bodily harm. She ended up stepping down. You said this was in Orange County? Orange County. And even the sheriff said there that he wouldn't enforce the mandate. So talk about anarchy. I mean, you have someone that is part of the executive branch, not following through orders on behalf of the executive branch itself. So governor Newsom this week today, rather Thursday, he, uh, issued a, an executive order, a mandate saying that, uh, you know, you have to wear a mask when you're in places where it's likely that you can contract COVID because you're in close proximity. So even when you're outside, you uh, don't have to wear a mask if you're not at risk of being close enough to transmit anything. So if when I'm on my hike, I don't have to worry about it. If I go into a restaurant, uh, I can eat my food there, but I have to make sure that I'm six feet mm-hmm. away from the other person. If you're in a hospital, you have to wear the mask. There are exceptions to it, like if you're hearing impaired, uh, if your child is under two years old, etc. So there are some exceptions, but overall, you have to wear the mask. And there's a huge movement, like even in Orange County, where they say that it's basically like a slow step to tyranny. And that's just another way of living 
by fear. Right. Right. I mean, I, I don't see wearing a mask temporarily as being a slow step to tyranny, but then I would just get a, an eye roll like you don't understand. Like all of the rest of you are just sheep for wearing these these masks. But even Democrats, like if this was a prolonged new normal, we would we would probably freak out if we had to wear the mask forever. So I was sure. trying to think of another example that could kind of reframe this because I know that you had mentioned seatbelts and we have to wear shirts and shoes when we go inside of restaurants or even just stores uh, in general, right? right? And I was like, man, there's got to be a better example. And at when I went on my hike right before this podcast, I think I came up with one. And do you remember uh, a restaurant called Coco's? Yeah, of course. There's still one off yeah. of Sand Canyon in Santa Clarita. Oh, are they still there? Yeah, they're still there. Okay. Well, all right. For anyone that doesn't know, Coco's is kind of like a, a Denny's. They yeah. were all over the place, Marie but now there's only a select they sell few. Pie as well. Yeah. Exactly. And it was great. I used to love going there when I was younger for chicken fingers and everything. But do you remember what they would ask you when you would walk into a restaurant in California back in the day? Smoking or non-smoking? Yes, sir. Bingo. You got yeah. that right. I, I don't know why I knew that was coming, but that's what I remember. Yeah. And I was I was actually thinking about this before the podcast. I was like, if he nails it on the head, I am going to be shocked. Hell yeah. But uh, <laughs> well, no, really, because it, it was that long ago that we don't it, even really think oh, about yeah, it now. No, we take it. it we like take it for 19, granted. 1990 is when that, that somewhere. Yeah. 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 But that, that was what they'd ask you, smoking or non-smoking. And I remember sitting in there, we'd always get non-smoking. And I remember sitting with my parents and asking them, like, why are we in the non-smoking section, but the whole restaurant smells like smoke? And they're like, well, because it's just ridiculous. Like, the obviously, there's not going to be a separation between the smoking and non-smoking because the whole place is just filled with smoke. <laughs> yeah. So they ended up banning the ability to smoke inside of restaurants, inside of governmental buildings, inside of stores. And they basically said you can just smoke outside. And now it's gotten so crazy that, that they've even banned smoking in public places in some cities, yeah. which I think goes too far. Like, who gives a shit if you're out outside smoking a cigarette? Like, you know, you're surrounded by brake dust, smog, and soot all the time yeah. just from going around town. I mean, obviously, you don't want one extra thing, but what's the, the big deal in someone just releasing a little bit of stress if they want to smoke or vape right. or whatever? But this was a point of contention back in the day and now we don't even remember it. Right. Like, I don't think it led to tyranny or a destruction of our way of life. And I think a lot of the people that were conservative of mind back then would be happy that they can walk into these restaurants and not subject their kids to that kind of smoke. Right. Yeah. But, um, from breathing it in just one more straw on the camel's back and eventually like, yeah. It's well, everything this is low change where eventually we get to this thing where government is telling you what you can and cannot do. Look, I don't I don't know what I'm in favor of. And I I think um, here's how I look at it. But I don't know if this is the way to go. So I have been back at my office this week. However, I'm only at the office because I'm doing work that really revolves around me having a quiet space. I'm I'm doing online lecturing. Um, 
And so I get there at eight in the morning and I leave at about uh, five thirty or six o'clock at night. Um, I'm yeah. doing an eight hour course and then, uh, you know, responding to emails and all that good shit. But, um, so it's an eight hour course, eight hours of my day from eight thirty to five o'clock with a half hour lunch break is, is teaching. So, um, I will go and use the restroom, which we're in an office building. So we don't have our own restroom inside our office. We have a common restroom on the floor and it's a pretty big building. And at the beginning of the week, I'm like, nobody's here. I like wasn't bringing my mask with me. I'm just like in the mode of teaching, not wearing it, get up, go to the restroom, come back. And throughout the week, it's become a lot busier. It's probably two or three times busier than it was on Monday today. And Uh I like, I sort of keep forgetting to bring my mask out. But today I got really good because I'm just like, I feel like I'm being rude. I feel like I, I, and I see other people not wearing their masks, but then I see other people wearing their masks and I'm like, this person is clearly either concerned about it or concerned for other people. And if they are concerned about it, I kind of feel like a dick right now for not doing something that's the easiest thing too. in the world to do. Um, I don't want to be like, ha, like, and, and here's the thing. This actually goes back to the, the moral degradation type of thing or the do good or degradation thing is I wear the mask and I see people without it who aren't wearing the mask and I see them and I'm, I bet they're in my head. I, I, they're going fucking sheep. Like they look at me and they're doing that, which is wrong. The article says, we don't know. Well, yeah, they're not the do gooder in, in this situation. I am, I'm not patting myself on the back, but the, like what people are saying is the right thing to do. Nobody's going, well, the, the safe thing to do is to not wear a mask. No one's saying that. It'd be like saying the person who's not wearing a seatbelt is the do gooder. Like, yeah, the, the do-gooder is the person well, wearing the seatbelt. Um, well, let's bring it back to to smoking inside real quick. And you say that I mean uh, the issue was secondhand smoke. Do you know anyone that's ever died of secondhand smoke? Can't say that I do, Paul. But I mean, we would uh, agree that we know that people that are um, subject to prolonged in- inhalation of smoke, for example, firefighters, we know that they have higher rates of cancer. But sure. and yet, you and I, when it comes to secondhand smoke inhalation. We can't confirm that anyone we know have died of secondhand smoke, and we cannot confirm that uh, we. Or I mean, we don't know anyone that has died from COVID, right? You don't know anyone that's died from COVID. I know a couple people that have it, but or sure. have gotten it, but I don't know anyone that has died, right? I do not. I do know that our friend, who is a medic, signed up for the Medicorps and worked with someone who ended up dying a few weeks after they worked together from it. Um, which freaked that person out about it. He's like, I don't know if I'm going to do that again because like, Oh shit, that's crazy. But that's not yeah. me personally. That's down the grapevine. It's only second hand, but so it's not fifth hand or seventh hand, you know, the seven degrees of yeah. Kevin Bacon. Um, like, yeah. I'm as close as you can get without actually knowing the person, but that still doesn't yeah. mean, like you said, I don't know anybody. Exactly. Well, in, in, a, in a general sense, I mean, well, we, like we just talked, we don't know anyone that has died from secondhand smoke, but I think, us collectively as a society, when you're just going with your family to Denny's or you're in a small, you know, you're in the earth cafe spelled with a U and you're eating your avocado toast made with natural bread, whatever that means. And there's someone just smoking away next to you. I thought you were going to say someone's eating a gluten filled muffin next to you and the gluten (laughs) dust is getting in your lungs. (laughs) That's just rude. Who well, dares just, eat gluten near my how dare they? cafe table? But I think all of us collectively, since we've moved on, we don't feel impacted like like our 
ability to live free is less than because people aren't smoking indoors. And when it comes to COVID, I would think it would be ridiculous because there are some liberals that are saying like, oh, I ran five miles with my mask on. I was like, but if there's no one around you, like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. Like, you're not a hero. Like, you're just being as dumb. Like, you're just engaging in, in foolery. Cause I, when it, I was running, I didn't wear my mask at all. And, and, uh, which was funny because I didn't, th- I've been like, wear your mask, wear your mask. And then I go out and run and I see people and I just run to the other side of the street. I'm like, boom, 50 feet away from you now. Like who gives a shit? Yeah. Um, or I run I out the, the street. I'm 10, 20 feet away from you. But then I, was I move a- off the trail. Yeah. And everything. Well, I'm in the city, so you're you're more out there uh, than I am. Yeah. And you see less people, probably. I don't know. Maybe you see about yeah. the same. But then I was in a conference call with my work, and someone's like, yeah, like, I'll go outside on a walk, and I see people on a run without their masks on, like, and, and we're, like, sort of talking shit about people who don't wear their masks, and, like, all of a sudden, I'm one of them. I'm like, oh, shit. Like, yeah. wait, you should wear it then, too? Like, wait, you guys well, are he, judging that as and, well? Like, because... And that's the left being... <laughs> Logical. It is like that. That's them going to the extreme. And I'll give you an example of me going to an ATM. There's two ATMs and they're outdoor, right? Uh-huh. Like there's wind blowing around. It's kind of windy up here. So there's constant air circulation. There's this guy who was there first pulling out money and he's smoking a cigarette at the same exact time. This woman walks up and she's a little bit younger than me. I was in my twenties at the time and she was a couple years younger. So maybe she was like, I don't know, uh, 27, 28, somewhere around there. And she was giving this guy like dagger eyes, like staring at him, like, how could you? And I'm like, I'm just, I wanted to just be like, shut the fuck up. Like, do you realize you're going to hop in your car with your air freshener that's made in China? Like you're going to be ingesting literally exhaust and brake dust the whole entire way home and you're worried because this gentleman is taking his time to smoke outside like we just don't want to be in a chamber with him as he's puffing and exhaling and covering us with smoke I I smoke cigarettes and like not I wake up in the morning and smoke but like I get home from work and have a beer and smoke a cigarette or it's the weekends and I smoke a cigarette Um, if I'm not drinking I'm not smoking but monster um, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely the worst person ever. Um, but I will say this, uh, whenever we have a little campfire in our backyard or we go camping, um, my throat and my chest feel a hundred times worse from sitting around a campfire than they do smoking a cigarette. Um, yeah. and so, and I mean, that's actually a concern is that like, you know, people who are living in third world countries where they have to cook over campfires regularly or have campfires on a nightly basis, their cancer oh, yeah. rates are extremely high because they're breathing uh-huh. in just wood burning smoke. So, yeah. um, you know, and, and now you're talking about burning giant logs and sitting around it. So, um, I mean, yeah, I, I definitely, That's what I said with- but I still do as a smoker think it's rude when people do that. In fact, I'm a little bit judgy if somebody's doing that. Like I'm not smoking during the day, but if you just like are standing next to a restaurant and everyone's sitting outside and you're blowing your cigarette yeah. smoke and everyone has to smell it, I'm like, I'm not just like, what are you doing? But, but I'm also like, come on, man, can't you just fucking walk an extra 20 feet away? Like, do you have to? Yeah. Can't you think about somebody else and like what? It's a matter of social norms. And that's what I, that's the, the exactly, it's like the unspoken word. You don't need regulation for it. And that's how I feel about uh, masks. Like they're, they've done studies now where they say that uh, the 
virus deactivates rather quickly when it's yeah. on a surface and that would and then also it doesn't remain active for very long when it's airborne whereas something like measles i believe it can stay active in the air for yeah. around three to five hours so if you were wearing a mask indoors and you're slowing the rate that the that the virus would travel when you exhale presumably that might give it enough time by the time it reaches that six foot gap to be deactivated and dead and incapable of infecting the other person. Yeah. So I just see this as not just like a, a slow step to tyranny. I just see it as being like just common sense respect for your fellow human being. And when I walk out of there, I, I pull off my mask and I'm not wearing my mask in the car. Like yeah, I, I'm yeah, doing my, obviously. you know, like, yeah. So I think it's just it's just a matter of respect. But when you view it as fear, as the government trying to control you, uh, I think that's ridiculous because I don't think there's any Democrat that would say, oh, yeah, this is, should be the new norm and we're just going to start wearing masks forever. Yeah. Um, so I want to go back to then like what you initially brought up is the issue is, is that Gavin Newsom has mandated this and is is forcing people essentially to wear this thing. And it's like, that's an infringement upon our rights. And I want to go back to like being solution oriented. And I think what I would encourage people to do um, who feel that that's uh, an infringement upon our rights, um, if they want to convince other individuals of doing this is um, also feel and call out the same concerns that maybe other people are concerned with. So like, you know, forcing us to wear masks is is just one step closer towards government being this tyrannical machine that tells you how to live every aspect of, of your life. Um, but uh, things like phones and computers are a necessity in, in modern times and, you know, today's culture. You can't get by without one. And yeah. uh, the government being able to collect data and forcing companies to create back doors to their security systems, um, to me seems just as tyrannical, if not 8,000 times more. And so seeing some of the same concerns for those types of things might help me get on the same page with you a little bit. If, if we then start talking about a lot of the overreaches instead of just maybe one of the reach overreaches that seems to be a concern to you right now, especially when it's like so small, I can get behind you and saying like, you know, wearing masks is an overreach of the government. If you also highlight some overreaches that to most people are more concerning. Does that make sense? I'm trying to present a solution. Yeah. Where it's like, if you want to get more people on your side, also point out the fact that government is forcing people to do this so that they can collect data on all of this. And it's like, well, they're not doing anything with that data or that's your, your choice to buy the iPhone or not, or, or the Google phone or not. It's like, I kind of need it. I kind of need it for my job and, and to communicate and do the things I want to do to say that I could just not get a computer or a phone is like, really out of the question so you know you could also just wear a mask um and it's really not that big of a deal and um i know you're saying like it it, it creates a lack of oxygen to the brain but then i also have to wonder if that's true then how are painters and welders and surgeons and um so many of these people and professions that require precision able to think and operate every day if that's your uh, your your argument so Again, as opposed to like arguing against somebody and trying to be more solution oriented, I think more people could be on their side 
if they were to attempt to encompass a wider range instead of this small niche sort of thing saying that, um, you know, me having to wear a mask uh, when I'm in a public space that I don't own is, um, is an issue. Now, I feel what's really hard about talking solutions, which is what I'm trying to do, is I also feel backhanded in my solutions that I'm presenting. I still feel like an asshole. Clearly, I'm still trying to be a little bit of an asshole. Gosh, this being a well, it's, it's hard not to because yeah, you're never going to get it. You're never going to get it right. You're never going to get it absolutely perfect. But it's just a matter of like you're saying to sympathize with other people's fears as well, and then try to understand those fears, and then just realize like. It's not, you know, a, um, you may actually end up reducing the amount of fear that is felt on both sides by trying to understand and trying to sympathize. Yeah. And the mask, like, if, if, if Gavin Newsom was to all of a sudden say that, hey, you know what, we've been doing this mask thing for another month now and it's really working out. So we're just going to mandate this throughout time. We're going to make this the new normal uh, because we want to prevent the flu and we want to prevent everything else. Then, uh, then he'd probably, he would run into constitutional problems. Yeah. Because like I said, it's a, it's a balancing test. So, I mean, the whole entire constitution is basically one giant balancing test when it comes to each provision. So that's a really great point. But at the same time, if you let that go for two or three years and I'm not advocating this at all, and I'm not saying that this would absolutely be the case, but this is the beauty of letting states run their states differently and giving control back to the states as opposed to federal government having all of the control is what if California then five years after that found that people were getting the flu 50% less often which led to a decrease in healthcare costs of 10% per year, which led to money put back in your pocket, both on the tax end and on the premium payers end, and more time for you to be at work and actually earning money and less sick time being used. And so then people give that out as vacation time as opposed to sick time. I mean, if people can try different things, there might be unforeseen benefits to actually wearing a mask all the time. And then maybe people would come up with masks that are more low profile, more comfortable, things like that, that do prevent all these things and lead to prevention of, you know, all that greater stuff in the long run. I'm not by any means advocating that we do that. Um, but I'm just saying if that were the case, the beauty of it would be if you don't like it, just move to Colorado or New York. I mean, half of these people who hate these ideas anyways, it's, it's just like, you know, I, I wouldn't move to, let's say, Arkansas and then be like I hate this place and all these racists and blah blah it's like well yeah that's what you get when you move to Arkansas like don't live there then <laughs> like like <laughs> we just we just had expect? a whole episode on not labeling people <laughs> like what would you expect anything different from Arkansas well thank you so much comrade Bob I'm glad that we get to know your true feelings and I, I agree like there would there would be less costs in California because the only person left in California after an elongated mask requirement would be Gavin Newsom itself <laughs> Everyone else will be fucking gone. <laughs> like, we don't I mean, need to upkeep anything because everything. I get what you're saying, though. Like, the state should be an experiment. But when it comes to, uh, like, let's say that we eventually are faced with a contagion um, that is airborne and has symptoms that mimic that of Ebola, right. then 
mandates and adherence to those mandates must happen. This doesn't seem to be the case with coronavirus. It doesn't seem as bad as we initially thought. So we have to balance things. But I guarantee you, if we had a a pathogen that was like Ebola, but it was freely transferable through the air as an airborne contagion, the left and the right would both fall into line. It wouldn't matter. It I, wouldn't, I we would all be in fear. I still think there would be people there who wouldn't want to do it just because of the mandate. And um, because Well, then God would come early. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, that's definitely true. And I've heard people joke about that. But, um, but um, I mean, there are people who are not going or who are not going to want to follow directions just be, simply because they're being told to do something not because it's a request and that's something to be considered too is that like yeah some of these people are just feeling this way because they're being forced to do it and if it was more of a recommendation some of them might be more apt but the question is well then how well, many was a recommendation and how many wouldn't be apt to and then just not follow it at all because they're not being forced to and does that number outweigh the other so I don't know. It's like, it's, it's such a weird thing, but look, we are past the hour and a half mark. And, uh, um, I mean, we're, we are getting into the territory of, of splitting hairs, but I mean, I'd be curious to yeah. hear, you know, what some other points are on this of, of being forced to wear this stuff. Like you said, I mean, if it's not long term, then there's not really an infringement upon constitutional rights just yet, because it's a balancing test. Like, does it suit the situation? And right now the answer is yeah, these are unprecedented times. These aren't the normal times. And when it becomes the new norm, then it becomes unconstitutional and and can be challenged, just like with the protesting curfews. Like, are there means where you can, um, you know, survive without wearing a mask or does somehow wearing a mask impede upon your survival? If, If you couldn't breathe without it and people were dying because of it, then like, yeah, we're definitely facing things that are unconstitutional. Look at me becoming a lawyer now. I'm not at all a lawyer. This is your territory, not mine. Is is that unconstitutional then if if wearing a mask impedes someone's ability to shop and survive at the same time? I would think so. Well, that's why we have uh, exceptions to it. So, yeah, I mean, there are exceptions. That's why people can go shop early or at different times. To the mandate. Yeah, But is exa- that mandated? Exactly. Is it mandated that stores must open an hour early for vulnerable populations or no? I don't think that's a mandate, and I don't think that was included in the mandate to wear the mask. Uh, at least uh, I haven't read anything like that. But, I mean, that could be something that happens uh, potentially. Yeah. But it's also there's a capitalistic incentive for those companies to say, hey, we don't want to lose a portion of our shoppers because they're too afraid to come in Absolutely. with you know, you know, people that are our age and aren't is concerned about it. Yep. Whereas if you have a group of older individuals that are concerned about it, not only are they going to be wearing the mask, but they're going to maintain social distance. Like, absolutely. One last thing before we end it. I mean, you know what's crazy is I feel like most of the people I see without masks, not most, but a lot of the people, it's, it's like either people in their like teens and 20s or like really fucking old people. Like, like, oh, really? It's, it's not a lot of people my age and your age. I see so many people, especially at my work, who are like, they look like 65 or 70 or 75, and they're just like, no mask. They're like, fuck this bullshit. I'm not wearing a mask. I made it this far. And I'm just like, dang, yeah. <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah. And well, the thing is, so is that, you know, if they're willing to put their yeah, money where their, sure. their mouth is, sure. then fine. But I think uh, at the same exact time, if they get into contact or close proximity with someone, that thinks that they have been, 
isolated yeah. and doing the right thing. I, I think that those individuals should tell the Absolutely. other elderly person or person that is at risk, like, hey, I haven't been wearing a mask. I haven't been social distancing, but I'm not that concerned about it. But if you're concerned, then you should probably stay away from me. Also, and just look out like as a human being. That's I a will, human being thing to do. I will say it again. If that person who's refusing to wear the mask gets coronavirus, and I also have been wearing it and get coronavirus, and they're taking my spot in the hospital, I'm going to be fucking pissed. If I saw that person on Facebook being like, oh, fuck the masks and blah, blah, blah. Like, I shouldn't have to wear this. This is against my rights. And I'm wearing it. And then we both get it. And they took my spot because they got there first. And then they're like, mm, I'm getting treated. Like, sorry, uh, you're, there's just not enough spots for you. Mm, oh, well. Like, I'm going to be really pissed that they just sat there like bashing this whole thing, got it because yeah. they weren't wearing it and now are getting the treatment over me. So I will say that. Um, and I would assume most people uh, in that well, same situation would be pretty pissed off. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Anyways, um, look, Paul, let's end it here. We're over our hour and a half mark. Not that we have a set mark, but, um, you know, uh, I want to keep people interested and not just run them dry. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so. Exactly. And there'll be a whole bunch of new topics that come up next week because the, the news cycle moves so quickly. So we don't want to belabor anything. Oh, man. There's about know, a billion much. things that we haven't talked about that I'm dying to talk to you about. So um, everybody, thanks for tuning in to episode 12 of Wayward Weekly. Uh, stay safe out there and we will see you next week. This has been a big horn. Production.